0: Hello everyone. Today we are bringing you a special 1 hour episode. This will become an exclusive weekly series on our newly started patreon page. There are some other rewards as ad free content, monthly shoutouts, exclusive voting power, extended cuts, and more is on the way. So if you're interested in some extra content from reddit readings, consider checking out our patreon page, linked in the show notes below. I would also like to point out, that the free episodes will remain the same, and will continue to be published as before, let's go on with the episode, enjoy this one hour special of let's not meet, reddit readings, episode 64. I came over from Serbia at age 13 with my mother. My older brother, who was 15 years older than me, had lived in America for a few years, and he sent for us. My mom wouldn't be staying, although at the time I wasn't aware of that. Anyway we landed in New York City, and the plan was my brother would come get us. However, my niece decided to come early, and my brother's wife went into labor shortly before we landed. My brother couldn't leave his wife. So he asked a co-worker of his, they drove cabs to pick us up and New York City and drive us to New Jersey, where him and my sister-in-law lived. When we got to New York City, we waited in customs for what seemed like forever. We looked for my brother, but didn't see him. This was the early 90s, and cell phones weren't as commonplace, and even if they were, my mom and I didn't have one. We panicked a bit not seeing my brother or my sister-in-law. Suddenly we heard our names being called and saw a tall man. He introduced himself in perfect Serbian and explained he was a good friend of my brother's and then told us about the baby. He said he'd be driving us the 2 hours from the airport to my brother's home. My mom relaxed and they happily began to converse about the baby and my brother and America. I however just felt off, this guy gave me bad vibes and regardless of my brother's friendship with him, I felt distrustful of him. We drove for a good hour and a half, when he announced he was going to take us for breakfast. We hadn't eaten in over 15 hours, so we were starving by then. We pulled up to a house, and my mom and I were confused. He insisted cheerfully that his wife was cooking us breakfast, and after we drive the rest of the way to the hospital to see my family. My mom shushed me when I whispered that something didn't feel right, and told me that we needed to be grateful for the hospitality. We were led up into the house. It was dark and dank and dirty. Suddenly I think my mom finally got a bit nervous and started insisting he take us to my brother. Suddenly, the guy grabbed my mom by the wrist. He told her that he needed a wife to take care of him and his house, and when he heard my brother tell the others at work she'd be coming to stay he knew he'd found a wife. I at the time was a scrawny little scamp of a kid and I tried pushing him off my mom, but he hit me so hard I saw stars. At this point we are terrified neither of us spoke English, we only knew my brother's home number, and he was at the hospital. Also in Serbia you don't dial 911, so even if I could, I didn't know that's how I'd call the police. Anyway, he tells my mom to clean and cook for him, and he takes me to the basement, where I was locked in what I now know is called the laundry room. I banged and cried and yelled, but it was so far down in the basement everything was muffled. For a week we were kept in his home, he'd lock us up in the basement after my mom cooked him breakfast, and he'd let us out when he'd come home at 4. If we had to use the restroom there was a bathroom, but that was it. Just a bathroom and laundry room. It was freezing cold down there, and even us huddling together under a blanket did nothing. One morning I discovered a small window by climbing on some boxes. I managed to open it, and my mother insisted I squeeze through it. I didn't want to leave her, and besides how would I get help I couldn't read nor speak the language, however I didn't want to live this way the rest of my life, so I did as she asked, I ran once I got out, and I'm sure I was a sight, a scrawny boy with no shoes, only wearing shorts, and a t-shirt in the middle of November, however that is what saved us as several concerned, neighbors tried to get me to come to them, and I wouldn't I was terrified I kept trying to get them to follow me. The police was called and a very nice policeman tried to get me to go into his car. Then I saw the man who'd taken us drive up in his taxi. He saw the cops and took off. That's when I made a run for his house to get my mom. Needless to say the cop and his partner ran after me and my mother was rescued. It took another 4 hours for them to find someone who spoke our language for us to tell them what happened. A warrant was issued for the man. My brother was contacted his friend, had told him we never showed, and my brother had been frantically calling back home in Serbia to find us. He drove up to get us, and to give the cops information on his supposed friend, so they could find him. They never did find him. Back then before 9.11 it was easy for someone to disappear, however it made me distrustful for a long time of people and their intentions. My mom grew homesick, and she ended up going back to Serbia. I stayed and finished school, I ended up becoming a cop in the military thanks to the nice officer that helped me all those years ago. I think of that guy who kept us prisoner every now and then, and honestly I wouldn't mind meeting him now, I just don't think he'd want to meet me. Man asks to go out with me, thought I was in middle school, obsessed with being around children. So I, 20 female, lived in a shady as hell apartment complex in an otherwise rich, suburban area for 3 years, and had lots of stories that could fit on here, but this one is about a neighbor I'll call Bob. A little backstory, me, 18 at the time, and my then 16 year old sister, used to babysit all the neighborhood kids. These kids considered us their friends, and it got to where they seemed to have a radar of when my and my sister went outside they'd come out and talk to us and we'd let them ride our skateboards and such in the parking lot. The kids were ages 8 to 13. So one day we were outside with them and we were joined by a stranger. He stood between us and our car, towering over us. He introduced himself and asked us to sign a petition he made up. We did, just being friendly. Then he asked us how old we were. I thought maybe he was a fellow teenager that looked older or that he was just awkward. So I told him I was 18, and the very next question was if I wanted to go out with him in front of my mom and the other kid's mom. I awkwardly declined, but he continued talking about how he thought me and my sister were in middle school. Also, he was 28. Eventually he wandered away to ask someone else to sign his petition. A few days later, he knocked at our door after asking neighbor for the address. He had a bag of what he said was chicken and wanted us to go eat it with him at the park. We declined cause we both had schoolwork to do. He walked away and he was mumbling about how antisocial everyone was. Later we look out our window and see him playing baseball with two girls. He kept physically moving their arms to different positions, even though they shrugged away from him. Next day, one of the kids runs up to me. I'll call her Maddie. She's 8. She got a new pair of heels and wanted help with them. I was holding her hand, and guiding her along when Bob appears, and says he can help better. Maddie says no, but he insists. He pushed me aside, and reaches for Maddie, holding her tightly around the upper chest area. Her grandma was there too, and flips out. He wanders away. The next day, Maddie is freaking out, saying Bob was just sitting on her porch when she left for school that morning. Her parents found out, and as they walked outside he let himself in, and they said he went to their kitchen to make orange chicken. We later found out another neighbor had a similar story. Another time, we were helping a family move. They have a 2-year-old son. The garages are in a triangle shape to the road, almost a roundabout. There's a flat patch of grass behind them. Well, here comes Bob to help us. He criticized the way we packed things, and didn't help until our neighbor politely asked him to leave. Well he left the garage, but instead of leaving he asked the 2 year old if he wanted to play. The kid said no, and it made him mad. He picked up the kid to play, and the kid slapped him. He asked the kid if he wanted to go behind the garages to play ball. The kid's mom doesn't notice, so I go with him and guide the kid to his mom. The climax of this story is when me and my sister went on a walk with our 17 year old friend and her other friend, Maddie found us, and wanted to come along, so we are starting to walk, when Bob comes out, he sees our friend, and asks how old she is, and how much she weighs, because she's so skinny, he asks where we are going, my friend tells him, we are going for ice cream, on a girl's trip, we didn't ask her to say that, he's like your man, and stomps away. We continue our walk, but halfway through we have a weird feeling. I look behind us, and Bob is running toward us. He yells at us for hiding from him, while also telling Maddie how pretty she is. An older neighbor sees this, and asks him what's going on. He tells the man we are being mean, and he needs to go write a song about us. He leaves, but we see him sitting at the park. Well he saw us, and again comes running. We stop, and he asks which one of us is over 18. Maddy's dad is here at this point and tells him we aren't interested in him. He explodes, telling the dad to fuck himself and that he's so rude calling me a bitch. Maddy is crying and the neighbor who saw us before came to check on us since he saw Bob running. Bob goes inside, muttering to himself. For weeks we don't see him. A single dad and his 5 year old daughter move in and we are introducing ourselves to them. My mom kind of tips him off that there's someone in their building who is a little off, especially around Maddie. The dad says he's seen someone like that giving kids candy at the pool when the kids looked uncomfortable. Well here comes Bob, as if on cue. He immediately tells the girl in front of her dad that she looks like a movie star and that she's so pretty. He asks to play with her, but the dad says no and they go inside. Turns out, they're next door neighbors. We still didn't see him much, but other neighbors were telling us stories about him. There's a woman who's alone most of the day with her two kids under five, who told us he watches her when she goes to and from her car. Also, Maddie's parents continued to see him watching her. Then one day we're again babysitting, and here he comes. Only this time he's swinging nunchucks. Maddie screams and hides in our car. Bob strolls over with his nunchucks and starts talking to us all casual then his head cranes, to look into the car, and he says, where's Maddie? We told him she wasn't here, and he walked away, by then, most of the kids were afraid to go outside, when they saw him, he had a habit of wandering around the complex, we could tell by his height and lanky gait, a few times we'd see Bob with his dad, those times, neither even glanced at us, then one day, he just stopped showing up, We'd see his dad and brother come in and out all the time, but never him. We only saw him again a year later, and it was only for one day near Christmas, and then he disappeared again. So I don't know what happened to him, but it was just one of our weird experiences with neighbors and the three years living there. Maybe I'll post the stories of a chick that tried to kill her parents because she was a witch, or the old man that bites children next, if you'd want to hear them. Man chases my sister down a hotel hallway. I still feel sick to my stomach whenever this memory pops back up. I was maybe 15 years old and my family took a trip to a ski resort in West Virginia. I'm the oldest of 2 boys and a girl who was maybe 6 at the time. She was adorable big blue eyes and crazy blonde hair. Bold and mature for her age because she grew up around big kids. My younger brother, maybe 8. My little sister and myself decided to hang out in the sauna. We had been to the resort a few times before, and I was 15, a reasonable age to go off for an hour or so with just my siblings. Well, stupidly, while in the sauna, we wanted something from the hotel room, or wanted to tell our parents something, this is before you brought a cell phone everywhere you went, and sent my little sister to do it. Thinking back, I can't believe how stupid we were. But you know how immature kids think, get the little one to do it. Some time passes, and we heard my sister come pounding down the hallway in her pink bathing suit, sprinting, and an older man speed walking behind her. I'll never forget how he looked. He was lunged forward, walking as quickly as he could, eyes bore into my little sister, a tight frown framed by his white mustache, My brother and I watched in absolute shock trying to understand what was going on, the sauna had a glass door looking down the hallway, I grabbed my sister into the sauna staring at the man with wide eyes, scared, but defensive, the man instantly freezes, when he sees us, picks up walking more slowly, walks by the sauna, it was the end of the hallway, nowhere else to go, and looks to a door next to the sauna, that led to the gym, and mimes a no, as if that was what he was looking for, mind you he was wearing a collared shirt and slacks. He looked like he was actually shaking a bit. I asked my sister what happened and she said shortly after leaving the hotel room, he came out of nowhere and started following her and she got scared and began running and he kept up with her. I told my mom what happened and of course she was so pissed we sent a little girl out in a bathing suit through a hotel by herself. I still get sick when I think about what could have happened if he grabbed her before she made it to the sauna. I still see his gross mustache in my mind and get angry when my mind replays his sheepish oh. As if he chasing a small girl down a hallway is normal to do while looking for the gym. I feel guilty for sending her and guilty for not saying something to him or reporting him. I sometimes wonder if he had done this before or after. But I remind myself how young I was, and I'm just glad I was with them, had it been just her and my little brother who knows what could've happened. The fingers under the door. Okay, so around 9 or 10 years ago I was living with my mum, dad and older sister, in an old house in a very small village. Like when I say small, I mean its only main feature was a small church and a few scattered houses occupied mostly by very old people. At the time it was the summer, so I wasn't at school or anything, and since we were so far in the middle of nowhere I spent most of that time at home, glued to one screen or another. The usual routine was I'd wake up around 10 or 11, by this point mum, dad and sister had all left for work, so I had the house to myself, I'd go downstairs, make some toast, watch some random stuff on TV for an hour, before heading back to my room to continue with whatever game I was grinding through that particular day, the usual habits of a 17-year-old guy cut off from the world. By many many fields, I should give a quick rundown of our house, it was an older cottage with two rooms upstairs, mine and my sister's, and everything else downstairs, as you walk up the stairs you got to a very small landing, and could go either left, to my room, or immediate right, my sister's room. Basically the way this was laid out was that I could sit in my room with the door open and my sister's room is directly opposite. I should also mention that the ceilings in both our bedrooms were slanted. We were basically in a large attic where the roof slanted down because of where the slant met the wall we had crawl space that ran the length of the house on either side of the rooms, both with a small door to access them. These were mostly used for storing normal attic stuff like Christmas decorations and old forgotten toys. The doors to these were thin little things, about 4 foot tall with a small handle on the outside. This is important, because turning these tiny door knobs opened them, but only from the outside. If the door was pushed shut with you inside there was no way back out. I discovered this myself on more than one occasion. The door on my side ran along my room, and along one wall in my sister's room and hers ran along the other side along my room. This space was not very big, you had to crouch to stand in it, and most of the time you were in there you were crawling on hands and knees, this is all important I promise. Anyway, this one morning I'm awoken to a familiar noise, some sort of small creature rustling around in the crawl space on my sister's side, I could hear this, because my bed was against the wall that ran along it not an unusual noise, living in the countryside we had mice almost constantly, and the pretty much had the run of the storage spaces, no matter how many traps were put down, I thought nothing of it, and got up, and went off to begin my morning ritual of toast and television. The first odd thing I noticed, was while watching TV I could hear movement upstairs, my sister's room was directly above the living room, so I assumed she'd just not gone to work that day for whatever reason and continued munching. Around an hour or two later I went back upstairs, and booted my PC, as I was waiting I turned around to my open door, and faced my sister's closed one, and realized it was late in the day, and she had yet to leave her room, an odd thing, since she normally parked up on the sofa in the living room on her days off, and didn't move until our parents returned, we are not the most active family. I started to think that maybe she was at work and I'd imagined the noise from upstairs, but as I'm used this, I noticed the crack of light at the bottom of her door as a shadow passed by it. Okay, so there's definitely someone in there, so it must be her, right? I once again pushed it from my mind and went back to my PC. More time passed and the thought came back to me. Why would she be at home but not leave? She only has a small TV in her room and no books so what had she been doing in there all day? I glanced back around and again saw a shadow under the door. She was still moving around in there so what was up? I finally decided to go knock on her door. I knocked a few times and said her name. No answer. Weird, but maybe she had headphones or something on. I knocked a bit harder again and said her name again but louder. No answer. Alright I thought, fuck this, I'm just going to go in. So I cracked the door open and peered round. I found an empty room. No one inside at all. Feeling slightly confused, but better that it was just my imagination I stepped in properly and looked around and saw something that made me full on panic. Near the bottom of a little door leading to the crawl space there was a small hole that the mice had made to get in and out at the bottom, really small but just big enough to fit half of your hand through. There, coming through that hole were four fingers. Holding the door shut from the inside, at first I thought no, it can't be fingers, don't be stupid. Until I watched them slowly creep back through the hole, into the crawl space. I. Lost. My. Shit. Very quietly though I might add. I backed out of the room, shutting the door behind me, and ran to my room. Being the stupid teenager I was I grabbed what might be the most imposing weapon I could find. The fake Winchester rifle cap gun I got from Disneyland a few years previous, I figured that if whoever was hiding in that bedroom didn't believe it was a real firearm I could at least hit them with it. I ran off downstairs to where my dogs were on the far side of the house and called my mom, who worked about a 5 minute drive from our house. She told me to stay put and that her and her manager were on their way. In this time I made a small upgrade from fake plastic rifle to one of my dad's golf clubs, I felt much better with that. Finally my mum and her boss, John turn up, and I tell them everything leading up to this point. They say okay, and we all set off upstairs to investigate, me, rather unheroically bringing up the rear with my golf club. Get get into my sister's room, and I point to the door. I'll never know if my mum is just hard as nails or massively stupid, but while John and I watch, she marches over to the door, yanks it open and sticks her head in. A moment passes while she looks left and right and John and I are preparing to yank her back from the clutches of the psycho hobo murderer hiding in there before she shouts, Chris. What the fuck are you doing in there? Get out. Small amount of backstory. Chris was my sister's boyfriend unbeknownst to me, the night before my dad had asked Chris to leave as he had stayed with us for around 5 days at this point, he said yep, that's cool and as far as mum and dad knew, he'd headed home, what really happened, was instead of leaving, him and my sister had planned to make it seem like he'd left then he could stay another night, he then would wake up before my mum shouted my sister up for work, like she did every morning, and would hide in the crawl space and sleep there until everyone had left for the day, The one small hitch in the plan that they did not think of was, you guessed it, me. They'd forgotten I was home and conveniently sat directly opposite the only exit for most of the day, so he was trapped. When I knocked he hid himself behind the door and held it shut to prevent being locked in. Anyway, my mum swiftly told him to get the fuck out and not come back. Sadly this was not the last time we sat the guy as it turned out he'd stolen quite a bit of money from my sister's room while he'd been hiding out and then, because my sister makes terrible decisions, got her pregnant and proceeded to smash windows trying to get at her and the baby around a year later. For a while we lived in the same city when I went to uni and he was spending time at the prison therefore stabbing someone in a completely different town. Super guy. Oh, and a small topper to all this. As I mentioned earlier, the only rooms upstairs are mine and my sister's bedrooms. He'd been in there for close to 14 hours with no access to a toilet, but no worry for this guy because he had lots of empty bottles to piss in, which he kindly left behind for us to clean up. And finally, around a year later as mum was getting the Christmas decorations out which were at the far back of the storage space she found a small bag filled with feces. I should mention, where she found it is exactly next to where my bed is on the other side of the wall. The rustling that woke me up that day, it was him. Hiding his shit amongst our tinsel and tree. So, sister's baby daddy who hid in our crawl space and used it as a private bathroom. Let's not meet. A dog saved me from potential abductors. This happened when I was in college about 6 years ago. At around 5.30pm after class, I just said my goodbye to my friend as we made our separate ways going home, when a guy in a hoodie blocked my way. The moment the guy was in front of me, he hugged me and grabbed my head close to his chest. He also slapped my face and asked me, why are you still not home? I was dumbfounded, I didn't know the guy. At first, I thought he had mistaken me for somebody else. I also thought he was drunk. But then... He started grabbing me to walk with him. I shouted for my friend for help. Fortunately, she was still near. She then grabbed my arm and started to play tug-of-war with the guy. There were a lot of people at that moment. The guy shouted, don't bother us, this is my wife. My friend also shouted, please help us, this is my classmate. Nobody dared to help. We were making a scene outside school on a rush hour and everybody was just watching. We felt so helpless. I remember seeing a few familiar faces from school, but they didn't move. I guess they were as shocked as I was. I was also paralyzed at time unable to detach myself from the guy. Another guy came and shouted, I'll shoot you. He tried to help the other guy in grabbing me from my friend. One schoolmate tried to help, but the other guy punched him. After which, the guy punched me hitting my face, head, nape. They also punched my friend who was brave enough to not let me go. We kept shouting for help this time. A nearby street vendor came to help and shouted she's a student, we should help. As she came near us, the other guy punched her also. The street vendor came with her dog. After the guy punched her, her dog bit the guy. The dog also proceeded to bit the guy who was hugging me the entire time. They both ran away while the dog chased them away. The experience was really traumatic. I had to change my daily outfits for months after, that's so the two guys will not recognize me if ever we meet somewhere. I'm a dog lover, and having been saved by a dog was really heartwarming. For a while, when I was still in college, I still see the street vendor and the dog on some occasions. To the two guys, who were potential abductors, let's not ever meet.
1: This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.
0: I was going to help you, so this literally happened 30 minutes ago. I'm driving to work and it's about 3.30am. I take 3 different routes to work, but I've been taking the same one for a while, since there's construction everywhere else. I'm driving down this road, and on either side of the road is all subdivisions. I'm listening to a podcast, trying to keep myself awake until I can go get some coffee. I start getting this uneasy feeling in my stomach, but I thought it was my body telling me to get some caffeine and maybe something to eat. I ignore it and continue driving. All of a sudden this guy starts running out in the middle of the road. I barely see him, since he is wearing dark clothes. I managed to slow down, and I noticed he looked pretty freaked out. Now I listen to a lot of creepy podcasts ranging from true crime to supernatural. I know the rules to stay safe in situations. I wish I listened to them today. I normally wouldn't stop, but I knew that if something happened to me, I would want someone to stop. So I did. Luckily I kept my car running, and I rolled my window down a little bit, just so I can talk to this guy. I asked him if he was okay, and he started freaking out saying someone was trying to kill him. He told me his dog was ripped apart in his front lawn, and he tried to pick the remains up to try and bury it, but he saw a man running after him with a knife. He said he thought it was probably a coyote or something, so he wasn't suspicious, but he ran off when he saw this man. Now I was pretty freaked out, but I noticed something. Yeah it was dark, but with the lights on inside my car and the lights that were on out front of the subdivisions I could see pretty well. He was younger, about mid-thirties, dark black hair and green eyes. He was wearing a hunter's jacket and jeans. I live in Idaho, so hunter's jackets is pretty normal attire. What I noticed however, there was no blood or fur anywhere on him. I asked him why there wasn't any blood on him, and his whole demeanor changed. It was like turning off the switch. My blood went cold. He stared at me for what felt like hours, but it was probably only a couple seconds. What came out of his mouth next was the final straw for me. His whole body relaxed, he stopped shaking, and he leaned closer towards my window and smiled at me. It was a twisted type of smile, and his eyes went dark. He took a deep breath and said, I was going to help you. He then started cackling and tried to open my car door and immediately rolled up the window, put my car in drive, and sped off down the road, not stopping for anything. Once I finally got to work I started crying. I still have 10 minutes before I have to go in, and honestly I'm terrified to get out of my car. To the guy that wanted to help me, let's not meet ever again. My friend turned out. be an internet predator. This is a long story so sit back to give you some background, I'm from a city in the northeast of Scotland in the UK. What happened here didn't just affect me, but also two close friends who for the purposes of this story we will call Debbie and Joe. We all used to work for Virgin Megastore. I started there back in 2003, Debbie joined in 2006, and Joe joined us in 2007. The entire staff of the store for the best part were all close friends, we were all music and movie nerds so shared the same interests and sense of humor etc. Every year over the Christmas period we would take on temporary staff as extra help for the volume of customers we would get at that time of year. In 2007 one of our temps was Rory, this is his real name. Most of us hit it off with him brilliantly. Young guy seemed really passionate about music, especially Pink Floyd, which was a big win with Joe, who is one of the greatest guitarists I've ever met, and myself who grew up on Pink Floyd through my parents. Plus, Rory was a budding filmmaker and his love of movies seemed to match his love of music, so we would have a lot to chat about and became friends very quickly. It was rare to keep in touch with the work temps post the Christmas period, but Rory was an exception. He didn't live in the same city as the rest of us, but kept plenty of contact through text and social media and would come through to the city to hang out from time to time. Moving forward to Christmas time 2008, by this point Virgin Megastore had become Savvy Entertainment and Rory came back to work with us as a temp in particularly with me. I ran the stockroom and the store, which was the busiest place at Christmas time and had a history of not great people to help for how much work would need done. So was happy to be getting someone I knew would work hard, and that I could have banter with. He could be a bit annoying trying to force different versions of the same Pink Floyd song he'd found on the internet. As I said I love Pink Floyd, but I love a lot of music. Nevertheless, I just figured ah he's young, and he's passionate, but he's cool. Around this time he started to put together a self-made Pink Floyd documentary which he interviewed me and Joe for, and to be honest he did a fucking great job given the limited tools that he had. Zavi closed in February 2009 due to the global credit crunch at the time. All the Xavi staff and Rory kept in touch, we'd all become very close working there like I said. Fast forward to summer 2010, we had a Zavi reunion night out, which Rory organized, most of us that still lived in the same city managed to make it along, Joe had moved to Glasgow at this point, was a really fun night out, and Rory stayed at my place, I should point out at this point, Rory was preparing to go to America for his second year working as a camp counselor. For Camp America, at Camp Wigwam in Maine, Ohio since Xavi closed I'd gotten a new job doing the same thing at another entertainment, retail store and at Christmas, Rory to came to work there as a temp, which I was initially fine with. Moving into 2011 and Rory starts to raise red flags, although at the time I didn't see it clearly. He claimed that while in America he'd gotten a job helping with editing and camera work on the show Burn Notice. At the time I was like, ah wow, that's cool man, well done. It didn't seem unbelievable given I knew he had talent in filmmaking. To coincide with this, he claimed he was working for Camp America in Florida, which is what lead to him working on Burn Notice, where it was at that time filmed. Then when he was back in Scotland in 2011 it was time for another Zavi reunion, which Rory had to be in charge of, which bothered me as he technically didn't work there when we closed, and like I said, was only a temp. I got sickened with him posting constantly on Facebook about essentially what was just some old friends going to the pub. Again I was just like yeah he's young and easily excited, he's harmless though. Then another red flag was raised, Rory and another friend who shared an interest in filmmaking were talking about doing a film in the city. They spent the whole day looking at locations, and afterwards when I spoke to Rory he was like, yeah we're going to do this this and this, making it sound like they had some exciting ideas, then when I spoke to my other friend about it he told me, all Rory did for the whole day was ask me about my favorite directors, it was a complete waste of time. Made me think, ah he's young, and excitable and has a tendency to exaggerate, but he's harmless. Move into 2012, Debbie who I mentioned at the start of this story, become a closer figure in his life. Debbie is a nearly 6 feet tall blonde bombshell, at the time one of the nicest people you could ever meet, with an amazing sense of humor. We became super close when we worked together, but was always totally platonic, I always looked at her in a more sibling way. She would come round to my place for dinner and to watch movies, and I knew all her close friends and a few family members. Herself and Rory went to the cinema a few times, and hung out afterwards, nothing wrong with that, for now, move on to Christmas time, Rory back as a temp for the third year in a row, and by this time he has started to annoy the other staff, whilst on lunch, he'd sit and brag about all the TV shows he worked on during his summers in the states, Burn Notice, Criminal Minds and The Wire. Unfortunately I didn't hear about this at the time, because people knew I was friendly with him, they didn't want to seem like they were talking shit about him, as the staff in this job also all got along famously. On a personal note talking with him at work became a bit weird, he started talking to me in a really smug and condescending tone, which given that I'm 6 years older than the dude and had a hand in him getting his temp jobs every year and thought I was his friend, didn't appreciate it. Then around this same time there's another Zavi night out due, Rory, Debbie, Joe who was visiting from Glasgow, myself and a few others. The day before the said get together, keeping in mind I'm pissed about how Rory is behaving, I get a text from him saying. Hey man, the plan for the night out tomorrow is to go to a pub quiz, your favorite. Now I don't go to pub quizzes for tedious personal reasons, and all these friends knew this, so Rory was essentially implying the rest of the guys had planned to go to something I wouldn't go too, which I didn't as I was super pissed about that text, I kept quiet about it from the others, even though I should have shown how devious he was, because as it turns out those guys didn't go to a pub quiz, and there was no intention to, the next day Joe comes into the shop to speak to me, since I'd missed the night out, whole time I'm talking to him Rory is standing next to him in a defensive stance answering everything I ask Joe like he was his fucking spokesperson, which was infuriating, because I was at work, I couldn't lose my shit and Joe is happy go lucky he didn't even notice, what Rory was doing, Rory was obsessed with Joe, because of his talents as a guitar player, to the points of it becoming unhealthy, It was around this time that Debbie started to sense I was having a problem with Rory, and it was true, contact with him would trigger me to get anxious or angry, cause I knew there was something amiss, but Debbie and Joe were constantly just fooled by his false charm, and that's why I kept tolerating him, cause I loved those guys, and didn't want to be the cause of drama. In early 2013 Rory makes out his dad has life threatening stroke, which he survives, but leaves him incredibly disabled, this subsequently turns out to be a lie, and at all to get sympathy from Debbie and Joe. Moving forward to 2014, Joe moves back to town from Glasgow into Debbie's spare room, and this is where Ori really starts to phase me out from the group, despite having recently hung out with me and me having put him up at my place, which I had done several times over the years at this point, he takes Debbie, Joe and another ex zavi friend to three different prints. Gigs around the country, in Italy I was super pissed, but in hindsight am relieved. It was Rory that paid for all the tickets for those gigs, which was another red flag. Have to point out that when he wasn't working with me as a temp over Christmas or in America over the summer working for Camp America and various TV shows, he was making out he was a freelance photographer and video editor, which would be fine, but he didn't have a website, a Facebook page or anything else as far as I could see to contact him to do. Said work, taking that into account and the fact he's throwing cash to go to concerts around the UK, I was concerned about where his money was coming from. Following the Prince gigs, I had blocked him on social media, as his posts and comments on other people's posts were just annoying, constantly undermining people on what they are saying or arguing with folks having a different opinion to him. Debbie took issue with me blocking him, and stuck up for him, with hindsight she'd been groomed by him, and had rose tinted glasses on when looking at him. I caved and got back in touch with him, even though I know now I should've walked away from them all, but like I said, before I dearly loved Debbie and Joe and didn't want to lose their friendship, even though I knew deep down there was something bad about Rory. Throughout 2014 Debbie and Rory got super close, anyone that didn't know them seeing facebook pics would think they were a couple. Over the next 2 years my contact with these guys started to drift. Rory would come round to my place for a bit and then when leaving be like, I'm away up to darling Debbie's, I would invite you, but you're not one of the three amigos, a lot of the time he wasn't actually going there it would turn out, he even came to my place to stay the night once, saying he needed to catch a flight to the states in the morning to a video editing job, then it would turn out he was just going back to the village he lived in at his mum's house. Eventually I walked away, quietly, I took Debbie, Joe and Rory off of newsfeed and hid any Facebook posts I made hidden from them. I figured if I see any of them in the street I'll be polite and just get away as soon as possible. I started to investigate Rory claims about his time in America, I relayed them all to a friend and his flatmate, who himself had lived in America for a long time. They both told me, no man, there's no way he could be doing all that shit, which is true, if you go to America, to work for Camp America, that's all you're allowed to do, and with a bit of research I found the camp Rory actually worked at, proving he never did Camp America work in Florida. During this time I had friends who would still follow him on Facebook, out of intrigue. They would ask me, where is his money coming from? Rory was going to stadium and arena concerts around the UK at least once a week. Some of these gigs cost as much as £200 a ticket, not to mention travel costs and accommodation. I knew something was up, I knew he wasn't involved in drugs, he would claim he made money from YouTube, but his channel barely had any subscriptions, and plus all his vids were of copyrighted material so there was no way he was making money that way. I did wonder if he was making money from editing. He was avoiding paying tax, that's the only thing I could think of. Believe me if I could have afforded a private detective to investigate this guy, I would have. During all this time Debbie and Joe are hanging out with and posting how great he is etc on Facebook, despite the fact I found Rory had a second Facebook account, where the profile pic was of him and Debbie, this was a secret account, and I took a screenshot and showed Debbie, but she was just like, oh isn't that his American account? sorry debbie but you were really fucking stupid now let's fast forward to october 2018 by this point i've severed contact with rory completely missed debbie's wedding the previous year where rory was a bridesman haven't seen joe in a good while either i'm back at work after lunch for about five minutes then my friend who is on her lunch and in the staff room comes running through to where i am hey hey have you heard rory was in court which in itself was in Italy shocking, I was like, what for? Tax evasion or copyright infringement? No she said, for making videos of little kids. Between January and November 2017 he was pretending to be a girl online, using YouTube and Omegle to groom young boys. Once I was told what he'd done I was in a adrenaline fueled rage for the next 17 hours. Just so pissed off that I'd been right he was a bad guy. But I just couldn't prove it. I knew my friends had been duped. Not to mention all those poor kids that got abused by him. As for his exponable income. I really think he was selling the videos he was making on the dark web for bitcoin profit. He was the first person ever to mention the dark net to me. But in a way of like. Oh never go to the dark net he plead guilty, and got 3 years and 9 months, along with a 5 years sexual harm prevention order, and will be on the sex offenders register for the rest of his life. Thanks for listening, I'm still in touch with Joe, Al thought he's a super busy guy these days, Debbie unfortunately I'm not in touch with now, I know she was mortified by the revelations, but she's married and happy so I'm just glad she saw the truth eventually, even though it took something so heinous to do so. Still shivering 20 years later. This was the only time I ever encountered someone who may have been a killer. His name was Neil. I met him on the bus in a town where I had just moved. We struck up a casual exchange which lasted until we got off at the same major downtown stop. He was charismatic and handsome, but there was a strange fixity to his gaze that I found unsettling. It was as if he'd never learned to blink. He walked me from errand to errand, continuing our conversation. He seemed interested that I was new in town and hadn't made any acquaintances yet. The place where I was staying was nearby, so he gallantly walked me there, then bluntly asked to be invited inside. I can't do that. I don't really know you, I said. Of course you do. We just had this great conversation, he replied. Within a very short time, Neil hatched a grand plan for us. Since we were both artists, we would collaborate together on a project. In his mind, I had very little say in this joint endeavor. He insisted that I meet him for a brainstorming session. Preferring someplace public and open, I suggested an afternoon meeting at a local coffee shop. No, no, Neil said. The meeting had to take place at the home of a friend, some guy I'd never met, but who, Neil assured me, couldn't wait to meet me. This friend lived quite far away, but he had a car, he and Neil would come for me, tonight. It had to be tonight, around 11.30pm, which I thought very odd as we wouldn't reach our destination for at least 90 minutes after that, and I had to be at work the next morning at 8am. Maybe it was the lateness of the hour, maybe it was the distance Neil insisted we travel, his reluctance to pinpoint the exact destination, or tell me his friend's name, even though I asked repeatedly. Maybe it was because his plan explicitly involved picking me up but not bringing me back. I remember feeling a sudden, vicious chill of warning danger realization. As if I was looking at a diagram, I understood that Neil and his friend meant to do something bad to me. They planned to take me in a car to a place far away from anyone who could help me, and then they would hurt me. This explained why my newness and friendlessness pleased Neil so much. Who would ask where I'd gone? I did not think twice. I did not say why. I simply said no. But you have to. You have to. Neil kept repeating. First in a child's whine, then in a commanding alpha male bellow. All his fury struck me as empty at the center, or theatrical outburst designed to shame me into compliance. I let him shout, until he'd shouted himself out, and then I told that whatever he wanted, he would not get it from me, now or ever. Leave me the hell alone, I said, as forcefully as I could. It must have worked, because he did. Even though 20 years have passed, whenever I think about him, I still feel as though I'd picked up a rock and seen something truly horrible squirming beneath it. Stalked by a female solo camper for several days while on our mountain camping honeymoon. It was the summer of 2016 and I had just married my longtime girlfriend. Over the course of our 12-year relationship we had travelled to the mountains several times in both summer and winter for camping, but also to stay in nice mountain hotels and snowboard the slopes. Naturally, we both agreed this was how we wanted to spend the first few weeks of our marriage. We booked a 20-day stay at a mountainside campground on the other side of the country. We also decided to bring our dogs with us as they too love being outdoors, and we generally bring them camping anyway. After two days of road tripping we had arrived, quickly set up and settled in for a good long stay on the mountain. It was beautiful. A couple of days into our trip, and we had already met a bunch of fellow campers. We are very experienced campers, so we generally attract a lot of attention from novice campers asking for tools or supplies as they see we are well set up. We are usually more than happy to help people get situated if they need matches, cream, or sugar, or help setting up their equipment. It was day 4 or 5 when she first made her presence known to us. I will refer to this person as she, or her, as we never learned her name. We were sitting down under the shade of the large pine tree at the edge of our site, drinking beers and playing cards, when she seemingly appeared out of nowhere. She was just suddenly right there. Can I pet your dog, she said. Even my dogs didn't see her approach as the very sound of her voice triggered them into a startled frenzy. As the dogs were worked up already, I politely told her no. Then she just stood there, at the edge of our sight. Didn't say a word. Just stood there sort of existing, but not really doing anything. She wasn't exactly staring at us, or looking at anything in particular. I asked her if she needed anything, and she said no. After a few minutes she walked off. I work with people with brain injuries. So I've had my fair share of experiences with unusual behaviors including people with poor social skills, so I wasn't about to write this person off as creepy just yet, but she had my attention. I casually watched her walk off and enter a campsite across the path and a few sites down from ours. There was already a small tent set up in the site, but she proceeded to pull an even smaller single person tent from her backpack and began setting it up. The day prior we saw two young girls set up the other tent and were clearly the occupants of the site. There was no further interaction with her that day, although we did notice that the owners of the other tent on the site were not around at all that day and we didn't see them return that night. Well, the next morning I'm walking to the camp showers to clean up for the day. As I walk past her site, I see she is sitting in her little tent reading a book. The door to the tent is open. I pay no attention and keep on my way to take my shower. When I'm done my shower and walking back I notice her tent is now closed, but it's jiggling about, so I know someone is in there. Then she made her presence known in a big way. Just as I'm approaching her site on the way to mine, she unzips her tent and I immediately see that she is completely nude. She then positions herself just inside the tent at the door and lets out this over the top full body stretch and held her arms way up the sky while pushing her chest forward like it was some kind of mating ritual designed just for me. While she does this, she lets out what I only describe as an exotic moan. It was pretty obvious she was putting on a show for me. I continue on my way to my site and tell my wife about the display I had just been witness to. We both laughed it off and moved on with our plans today hike a good trail to a waterfall. The trailhead for this hike was accessible from the campgrounds, so we didn't have to drive to get there. We just walked the additional two kilometers to the trail. We walked at a good pace so, when we got to the trail we decided to stop for a few minutes and take some photos of the surrounding mountains before heading into the thicker bush. After sitting there for maybe 5 minutes while my wife is taking pictures, she emerges from the trail that leads towards the campground. At first I thought, okay coincidence, she's staying here and this is a pretty common trail. But then she sees that I see her and she stops dead in her tracks and just stands there. Same demeanor as our first encounter. Just standing, not doing anything in particular, but also sending creep vibes our way. This was the first time I said to my wife, I think we have a stalker. Confused, my wife then looks to where I'm looking and is immediately a little creeped out. Once again I think, whatever maybe she's just hiking the trail no big deal. So we continue on the trail at a good pace and she maintains a consistent distance behind us. Our dogs at this point are a little distracted by her and our youngest dog keeps turning around to watch her. I got a little fed up with the dog constantly stopping to look back, so I decided we will stop for some water and let this woman pass. Well what does she do, but fucking stop walking when we stop, and once again just stands there. Okay, so now we are genuinely concerned, because this is approaching horror slash suspense movie creep level, and I start to wonder what this girl's intentions are standing motionless at that distance and refusing to pass us just ramped up the oh shit factor to about 9 so my wife and i agreed to just give her and cut the hike short by taking the shorter loop which was only another half kilometer ahead and head back to our camp we managed to get some distance between us by jogging every time we would make a turn and she was out of sight we didn't see her again until later that night that night my wife decided to take an evening shower at the camp showers When she returned to our camp she tells me our stalker was in the bathrooms also taking a shower. This time however she was with two other girls and appeared to be getting ready for a night at the club. There is a nearby ski town that has a few nightclubs and bars, so it was reasonable to see the girls getting ready for a night out. The two girls she was with were the two we saw previously set up at her site. My wife explains that she quickly picked up on the fact that the two girls and our stalker friend were not well known to each other. It was clear that the two girls were close friends with plans to go out partying, and our stalker was making an attempt to be friends and sort of invited herself to join them in their night out. Now we know the ski town well, and the girls kept reinforcing that they were meeting at a specific restaurant before going to the bar. It was currently 10.30pm and we know the restaurant they were telling her to go to was closed at 10pm. They were lying to her about their plans. The stalker kept asking them too, are you sure this place, are you sure? They convinced her, and she then left to her tent to finish getting ready, while the two friends stayed in the bathroom to finish their makeup. My wife went on to explain how, after she left the two friends were mocking and making fun of our stalker. They were young 20 somethings acting, like little girls in elementary school. My wife has no time for that. Creepy stalker or not she had to say something to the girls for their behavior. My wife calls them out on their behavior. Well, putting all the caddy bitch bullying aside, the girls explained to my wife that the stalker girl had set up her tent on their site when they were staying with a friend in the ski town. When they returned they found her living at their site without invitation. She had just taken it upon herself to take a little corner of their site without knowing them at all. The girls said they were upset with her and trying to make her feel uncomfortable, so she would leave, but she wouldn't leave. Of course my wife asked them why they didn't just report her to the park warden. The excuse they gave was they were leaving the next day and didn't want to make a huge deal out it. So whatever happened between them and the fake late dinner plans and clubbing is unknown to us. About 3am that same night we are all awoken to a blood curdling scream right outside our camper. At first I was like holy shit that must be a wild animal. My wife is trembling, dogs barking, and I'm startled but curious. I peel back the window cover to see her, standing motionless on the path outside our trailer. I had the window cover down maybe 8 to 10 centimeters when she appears to make direct eye contact with me. My heart rate is jacked. What the actual fuck? After gazing in my general direction for what seemed like an eternity, she calmly turns around and walks to her tent. I go make sure our trailer is locked. After a good hour and a stuff whiskey we manage to get back to sleep. So the next day is a Friday we have friends from a nearby major city coming up the mountains to spend the weekend with us. We haven't seen them in a while, so we are excited for a couple days together. Well they are not at our site for 15 minutes. And as they are setting up their tent, she mysteriously appears out of nowhere yet again. Like bam there she is, but now this time she is actually in our sight. I hadn't had a chance to tell our friends about her before she arrived, so they were a little more friendly than I was. She asks me once again if she can pet my dog, who during all of this is barking at her. I think I said something like she isn't being very friendly towards you right now, so I would prefer if you didn't. She didn't pet my dog, but she also just stood there staring at me like she was considering how she would dismember my limbs. She then notices our friend's tent brand as he is still setting it up and comments on how it's the same model as hers, although a larger sleeping capacity. My buddy has picked up on the creep vibes and my general displeasure with her presence so just gives her the, oh yeah cool, and keeps setting it up. Well she starts grabbing at the tent pegs and picks up the hammer, and says she will help him set it up cause she has experience with it. My buddy declines and asks for his tools back. Cue the fucking psychopath stare down, but this time she has a hammer in hand, adding to the oh shit factor. She literally just drops everything right there and runs off. I go on to explain the last few days to our friends and they agree we need to keep an eye on her. So by this time the two girlfriends whose site she had hijacked were packed up and gone. It's now Friday night and we've been drinking all day, so we're feeling pretty good. It's maybe about 11pm when she walks over to our site again. She says, hey, you guys seem to have a lot of extra room with the tent and the camper. Do you think I could stay with you guys tonight? We could have a lot of fun in there together. My buddy is feeling pretty good from all the day beers so he's pretty forward when he replies, did you just propose a gangbang to us? Now this whole time I'm just sitting in my camp chair with my whiskey taking this all in. She wasn't really taking notice to me at all so far. Then, she smiles, turns her head and looks directly down at me and says, I like your friend. She then turns around and walks away into the darkness of the night towards the forest. What the fuck? We are all now terrified she is going to return. I decided right then and there, if we see her again in a creepy fashion I'm calling the park warden. This is getting silly. Well the night is winding down, so we all decide to walk together to the bathrooms to clean up for bed. My wife pulls on my hoodie and says, babe, look. I look over to see that the site she was set upon is completely destroyed. Shit everywhere. Just stuff, garbage, clothing, food, everywhere. I thought okay, this is weird, could this have been a bear, no we would have heard it. I then notice that the tent is gone. She is gone and left the site a complete mess. As luck would have it the park patrol was completing their fire rounds and were at the messed up site when we were returning from the bathrooms. We told them there was a girl staying on her who was acting erratic and we suspected she was squatting on the site. Based on our conversation with the two girls from earlier in the week. We didn't see her again for the rest of our trip until the last full day. There is a great little lookout point not far from our site, which has amazing views of the river and valley below, and it was a perfect evening to see the sunset behind the mountains. It was a lovely final send-off to an otherwise beautiful honeymoon. Just when we thought we were done with her she emerged once again from seemingly nowhere. We were sitting on a couple chairs that are bolted in place at the viewpoint, taking pictures of the valley below. As my wife is looking through the camera viewfinder she picks up on the woman in the distance. She is standing the inwards a little ways down mountain towards the valley, watching us. As her final act, she walked up the mountainside and sat right beside us on a boulder that was beside the chairs. She says nothing. Just sits there. My wife has the brilliant idea of asking me to take one last picture of the scenery and she gives me a little wink. I pick up on her idea right away and I position myself so this woman is going to be in the picture. My wife wanted this latest photo in the event something bad happens with her before we can leave the area. We took our final looks out at the beautiful scenery and headed to our camp for the night. We didn't see or hear from her again. Upon reflection we agreed this woman had some serious mental health issues obviously. She had zero social skills and we did witness her attempt to make friends with those two girls that shafted her in a terrible way. That being said, she did things way beyond the realm of acceptable social awkwardness. There were moments I though she would pull out a knife and kill us all where we stood. More than that, the stalking, the midnight screaming and running off into the woods at night was terrifying to us and I feel a story worthy of this sub. I do have the photo on a thumb drive somewhere and we'll see about uploading a pixelated photo if it's appropriate. To anyone else the picture just looks like a person is sitting in the shot. But to us, it's a reminder of our wild adventure, and start of our amazing marriage. To our honeymoon stalker, let's not meet ever again. Thank you for listening to Reddit Readings. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and leaving a rating. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses
1: are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, terror takes center stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience.